This programme was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Hawke's Bay, your community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. Austin here again. Today we're going to be reading chapter 34 of Bad Dad by David Williams. Crime does pay. After trudging along fields covered in cow pats in the pouring rain, the group arrived at a set of huge iron gates, a sign outside Red Pilfer House. This is it, said Fingers. He pressed a buzzer and leaned into an intercom. Mr. Big Residence, came a voice from the speaker. It's Fingers and Thumbs. We've got a present for the governor, said Fingers. He's been expecting you. One moment, please. Slowly the gates whirred open and the four walked up along the driveway. At the end, it was an enormous country house. In all his 11 years, Frank had never seen a home so grand. It looked like a palace with its thick Roman-style columns, tall windows and stone steps leading up to a huge wooden door. Looking at all this in awe, Frank muttered, Crime does pay. They passed an ornamental fountain, which had at the centre a giant marble statue. It was a likeness of... Mr. Big himself striking a heroic pose with his dressing gown flying in the wind like a cape. He'd made himself look like a superhero rather than a supervillain that he really was. The four climbed in the stone steps to the imposing wooden door. Fingers knocked on the solid gold knocker. After a few minute, moments, a butler in a bow tie and tails answered the door. My master is waiting in the study for you, he announced. He was a short, thin man with an unsmiling face. From his accent and appearance, Frank tell he was Chinese. The butler led them down to a long corridor and into the Mr. Big's study. You're late, snarled Mr. Big. The little man was seated behind a large desk in his office, chomping on a cigar. At his feet were two fat black cats with diamond-encrusted collars. The room was an embarrassment of gold. Gold desk, gold chair, gold lamps, gold frames, around gold paintings of Mr. Big wearing gold. One even depicted of Mr. Big as a Roman emperor with a crown of gold leaves on his head. This is a man who loved gold nearly as much as he loved himself. Sorry, Guffner, said Fingers. We had a little problem with the getaway car. The henchman shot a look to Dad, who bowed his head. And who is this little worm? demanded Big. Oh, my son, sir, replied Dad. Oh. So I finally met the little squirt. Your mum has told me a bit about you. My mum? said the boy trembling. Didn't your daddy tell you? said Mr Big with a smirk. She's my woman now. Frank looked back to his father desperately, confused. Dad, please tell me this isn't true. The man took a deep breath. 
He protected his son from the troops for so long. Now he had no choice but to tell him the whole story. I am so sorry, son. It is true. Your mother lives here with Mr. Big. Immediately, Frank felt as he was underwater. The world around him felt silent and heavy. He couldn't think. He couldn't speak. He couldn't breathe. Dad wrapped his arms around his son. I should have told you, mate, but I wanted to protect you from the truth. Frank didn't want to cry in front of these men. He wanted to be strong, but he couldn't. Those tears, through tears, he asked, Please don't tell me my mum is here right now in this house. Mr. Big smiled. Of course she is. I don't let her out. The two henchmen laughed at his joke, which, like most jokes, was serious. Yes, your mummy's here, continued Mr. Big. Around this time of night, you can find her alone in the drawing room, downing a bottle of vintage champagne. Something your daddy would never provide for her. The henchman laughed again. <laughs> so, little Frankie, began Mr. Big. Do you miss your mummy? Do you want to see her? No, snapped the boy. Well, I bet she wants to see you. It's been a while. Chang, tell the lady of the house who is some here. Yes, master. Yes, master, said the butler, bowing as he left the room. Dad put a protective arm around his son. Don't do this to the boy, he demanded. I can't wait to see this, replied Big. Mother and son reunited at last. I don't want to see you, Dad, sniffed the boy. Come on, mate. Let's get out of here, said Dad, taking his son by the hand. But it was too late. The boy's mother appeared in the doorway. Goodbye, guys. Thank you for listening in. And we'll see you another time. Bye. The star belly sneeches had bellies with stars. The plain belly sneeches had none upon bars. Those stars weren't so big. They were really so small, you might think such a thing wouldn't matter at all. But because they had stars, all the star belly sneeches would brag, We're the best kind of sneech on the beaches. With their snoots in the air, they would sniff and they'd snort, We'll have nothing to do with the plain belly sort. And whenever they met some, when they were out walking, they'd hike right on past them without even talking. When the star-bellied children went out to play ball, could a plain belly get in the game? Not at all. You only could play if your bellies had stars, and the plain belly children had none upon bars. When the Starbelly Sneeches had frankfurter roasts, or picnics, or parties, or marshmallow toasts, they never invited the plain belly Sneeches. They left them out cold in the dark of the beaches. They kept them away, never let them come near. And that's how they treated them, year after year. 
Then one day, it seems, while the plain belly sneeches were moping and doping alone on the beaches, just sitting there, wishing their bellies had stars, a stranger zipped up in the strangest of cars. My friends, he announced in a voice clear and keen, my name is Sylvester McMonkey McBean, and I've heard of your troubles. I've heard you're unhappy, but I can fix that. I'm the fix-it-up chappy. I've come here to help you. I have what you need, and my prices are low, and I work at great speed, and my work is 100% guaranteed. Then quickly, Sylvester McMonkey McBean put together a very peculiar machine. And he said, You want stars like a star belly snitch? My friends, you can have them for three dollars each. Just pay me your money and hop right aboard. So they clambered inside. Then the big machine roared. And it clunked, and it bunked, and it jerked, and it burked, and it bopped them about. But the thing really worked. When the plain belly sneeches popped out, they had stars. They actually did. They had stars upon stars. We've got stars now. We've got stars now. They yelled at the ones who had stars at the start. We're exactly like you. You can't tell us apart. We're all just the same now, you snooty old smarties. And now we can go to your Frankfurter parties. Groaned the ones who had stars at the first. We're still the best sneeches, and they are the worst. But how now in the world will we know? They all frowned. If which kind is what, or the other way round? Then up came McBean with a very sly wink, and he said, Things are not quite as bad as you think, so you don't know who's who. That's perfectly true. But come with me, friends. Do you know what I'll do? I'll make you again the best sneeches on beaches, and all it will cost you is ten dollars eaches. Belly stars are no longer in style, said McBean. What you need is a trip through my star-off machine. This wondrous contraption will take off your stars so you won't look like sneeches who have them on bars. And that handy machine, working very precisely removed all the stars from their tummies quite nicely. With their snoots in the air, they paraded about, and they opened their beaks, and they let out a shout. We know who is who. Now there isn't a doubt. The best kind of speeches are speeches without. Then, of course, those with stars all got frightfully mad. To be wearing a star now was frightfully bad. Then, of course, old Sylvester McMonkey McBean invited them into his star-off machine. 
And of course, from then on, as you probably guess, things really got into a horrible mess. All the rest of that day on those wild screaming beaches, the fix-it-up chappy kept fixing up sneeches. Off again, on again, in again, out again, through the machines they raced round and about again, changing their stars every minute or two. They kept paying money, they kept running through, until neither the plane nor the star bellies knew whether this one was that one or that one was this one or which one was what one or what one was who. Then, when every last cent of their money was spent, the fix-it-up chappy packed up, and he went. And he laughed as he drove in his car up the beach. <laughs> they never will learn. No, you can't teach a sneech. But McBean was quite wrong. I'm quite happy to say that the sneeches got really quite smart on that day. That day, they decided that sneeches are sneeches. And no kind of sneech is the best on the beaches. That day, all the sneeches forgot about stars. And whether they had one or not, upon bars. right over there. I think I'll take a peek in the window. Well, sass my sassafras. Look what I see in there. Another duck standing right up there on the mantelpiece. Looks mighty warm in there by the fire, too. I think I'll have a chat with him. Maybe he'd enjoy the companionship of a fellow duck. I'll open the window. There we are. In I go. Say, that duck sure is quiet. He doesn't seem to move at all. I think I'll go up there and speak with him. First, I'll climb up on the back of this chair. Now, up on top of this table. And thence to the mantelpiece. There, I'm up. Uh, <clears throat> uh, hi, chum and feathery little cousin. How's about your sharing your warm spot on the mantel with me for the winter? You see, I didn't get south with the rest of the ducks, and I need a place to keep warm. What do you say? What's the matter? Why don't you answer me? The cat got your tongue? Say, listen, you canvasback schmo. Start talking or I'll knock the stuffings out of you. Now answer me, you hear? Okay, chum. You asked for it. Yeah. <laughs> 
I did knock that stuff out of him. He wasn't a real duck at all. He was a stuffed duck. He looked like a real duck, but he was only a duck stuffed with feathers like a toy duck. Well, that solves my problem. I'll just dump what's left of this stuffed duck into the wastebasket. And I'll take the stuffed duck's place on the mantelpiece. No one will ever know the difference, and I can sit up here and keep warm all winter. Oh, Daffy, you lucky duck. Hey, what was that? Uh-oh, it must be the owner of this house. I'll sit quietly up here on the mantelpiece, and he'll think I'm the stuffed duck. Uh-oh, here comes the owner of this place, and he's got a dog with him. I wonder if dogs can smell a real duck from a stuffed one. Come on, Wolver, hurry up. Well, Wolver, hunting wasn't so good today. I didn't get a single duck, and if there's anything I like to shoot, it's ducks. Uh-oh, just my luck to get into the home of a duck hunter. If he ever discovers I'm a live duck, look out, Daffy! Wolver, Wolver, what are you growling at the duck on the mantle for? You know it's not a wife. Wolver, stop it. What that duck a wound? What are you barking at a stuffed duck for? Stop it before I swat you. You crazy dog, barking at that old duck that's been on the mantelpiece for five years. You ought to know better. Now come on in the kitchen with me and I'll give you a bone. That was a close call. Now's my chance to sneak out while I still have my feathers on. I'll jump down. And I'll head for the window. Stop! Stop, you duck! He's seen me. Now I'm really a cooked goose. A duck. I'll run. After him, Wolver. We tweave him. Bring him back. That's the most extraordinary thing I've ever seen. A stuffed duck that came to wife. Oh, good. Wolver's got him. Here he comes now. Good boy, Wolver. Drop him right there. Oh, please, sir. Please don't shoot me. Shoot you? Are you crazy? Well, we'll be famous. Elmer Fudd and his stuffed duck that came to wife. We'll be on television. On television? You mean we'll have an act? Well, that means we'd have to rehearse all winter to get ready. Uh, right here in this nice, warm house. Why, of course. Well, what are we waiting for? Let's get on with the act. Give us an intro on the piano, old pal. Oh, Daffy Duck. Oh, Daffy Duck. Once I think I tried to shoot you in the head. You were flying in the sky, and I saw you there on high. And when you fell, I thought that you were dead. Oh, Elmer Fudd. Oh, Elmer Fudd. The bullet that you shot was just a dud My feathers just got roughed Then you went and had me stuffed What with cotton daffy duck? No with ice cream Elmer Fudd What with cotton daffy duck? No with ice cream Elmer Fudd I 
name a little tiny bird. My name is Tweety Pie. I live inside my bird cage, a hanging way up high. I like to swing upon my perch and sing my little song. But there's a cat that's after me and won't let me alone. I tore, I tore a putty tap, a tweepin' upon me. I did, I tore a putty tap as plain as he could be. I am that great big battle cat. Sylvester is my name. I only have one aim in life, and that is very plain. I want to catch that little bird and eat him right away. But just as I get close to him, this is what he'll say. I caught a tall putty cat creeping upon me. You bet he saw putty cat. That putty cat is me. Tat is very bad. He sneaks up from behind. I don't think I would like it if I knew what's on his mind. I have a strong suspicion that his plans for me aren't good. I am inclined to think that he would eat me if he could. this cage, but I can never catch him. It throws me in a rage. You bet I'd eat that little bird if I could just get near. But every time that I approach, this is all I hear. I tore, I tore a putty cat a tweeping up on me. I did, I tore a putty cat as plain as he could be. And when I sing that little song, my mistress knows he's back. She grabs her broom and wings it upon Sylvester's back. So listen, you bad putty cat, let's both be friends, you see. My mistress will not chase you if you sing this song with me. Come on now, like a good cat. Oh, all right. Suffering succotash. I taught, I taught a putty cat a creeping upon me. I did, I taught a putty cat as plain as he Bum 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 b
program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Hawke's Bay, your community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.